It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. What's up, Reds fans, and welcome into the Locked On Reds podcast. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for making me a part of your Thanksgiving holiday. Today, I've got a great interview with my friend Doug Gray over at RedLegNation.com and RedsMinorLeagues.com. And I've also got a few things I want to get to before we start that. Today is an extra long Locked On Reds. So if you really miss Locked On Reds on Friday, just play half of it today and the second half tomorrow. But before we get into all that, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on all the many podcasting platforms. Hit me up on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three F's and at Locked On Reds. Save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone, 513-549-0159. Calls, texts, whatever you've got, 513-549-0159. Also, check out LockedOnReds.com. I've kind of neglected the blog a little bit, but we're getting back into it, man. The blog is awesome. Clay Snowden's got a piece in there on things that we can be thankful for as Reds fans. And I've got some more stuff up there as well pertaining to the all-decade team and all that good stuff. Check it out at LockedOnReds.com. So before we talk to Doug... Real quick, two big things happened yesterday. First of all, okay, well, one of them's big. One of them's big to me, probably not big to you, but whatever. We'll get to that in a second. First of all, Joey Votto named, according to Jason Stark of The Athletic, the National League Player of the Decade. That's right, folks. Stop it with the Joey Votto hate. Love Joey Votto. Period. That's it. He's been the best National League player for the last decade. I don't know what more evidence you need. National writers talking about him. People that don't watch him every day like we do. Talking about how underappreciated he is, especially by his own fans. Stop the hate. Love. Joey Votto. Also, one other thing I noticed. The Reds traded Brian O'Grady to the Tampa Bay Rays. They uh, recently waived him from the 40-man roster in order to make room for the Nick Martini and Justin Schaefer additions. So now Brian O'Grady is a member of the Tampa Bay Rays. And as a fan kind of looking on the outside, looking at the Tampa Bay Rays from a third-party perspective, that makes me wonder. They are one of the smartest teams in baseball. And here they are acquiring a guy that the Reds really didn't give a whole lot of chances to. I wonder if we're going to see Brian O'Grady blow up. That's just my thoughts. But Brian O'Grady now a member of the Tampa Bay Rays. So a couple of things I wanted to get to. Love Joey Votto. Miss Brian O'Grady. Now we're going to talk to Doug Gray. All right, we're underway. So for today, we've got an extended episode. Like I've mentioned all week no episode tomorrow. Listen to this 
And if you uh, really want to listen to a podcast episode tomorrow, listen to like half of this episode today and then uh, the other half tomorrow. Or just listen to it all today because today is Thanksgiving. Today is the day that you have everything. That's the whole point of this holiday, right? You just eat until you're full. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, we've got Doug Gray on the show today. He is coming to us live from his house. How are you doing, Doug? Uh, I'm pretty good. I, I'm really looking forward to this eating until I almost die holiday. It's my favorite holiday. I love Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm uh, the food, the football, the nap, just everything about it. Great day. Uh, yeah, I mean, two of those three isn't, isn't so bad. The football that could be really hit or miss depending on well how how the year is shaking out for who ends up playing. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes uh. That nap comes a little bit sooner than usual just because it's really, really bad football. <laughs> That's true. I I don't know exactly what the injury report is for the Lions, but last I knew, Jeff Driscoll was playing quarterback for them. So, yeah, the nap might be happening soon. 2.30 nap, got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you, this isn't really a football podcast. We talk about the Cincinnati Reds here. And Doug is an expert, probably the most preeminent expert on all things Reds minor leagues. And there's a couple of really pressing topics. Also, wanted to talk about, among other things, want to talk about uh, some of the guys left off the 40-man. But let's start with the bad news. Um, there's good and bad news, obviously, all the time. Let's start with the bad news. I wanted to get your take on this because I myself, I mean, obviously, less baseball is not as good as more baseball. And with Rob Manfred and the wonderful Major League Baseball Commissioner's Office deciding, hey, we just don't need 42 of these minor league baseball cities. And every time I say that number, 42 is just ridiculous to me of how many cities they think they can live without. What what did you take away most from that news? I mean, the only thing that I can come up with that really makes even the littlest amount of sense is that this is all just about them not wanting to spend money to pay players. Every single reason that Major League Baseball or Rob Manfred has talked about as to why they want to get rid of these cities, these teams, these stadiums, it, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense, and they're all easily fixable problems. And it really does just seem that it comes down to they don't want to have to pay say, 275 minor league players anymore. They want to pay somewhere around 150 to 175 players. So they don't have a lot of money. Well, Jeff, uh, funny you bring that up, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, turns out that Major League Baseball actually does over $10, million, or $10 billion in revenue each year. Oh. So, I mean, I, they, they could probably find a few extra dollars laying around. And, and you know, it's, it's funny that we even have that conversation – you know, they, they bring up the, the stadiums, you know, so they say, you know, some of them aren't up to date and they're, they're right. They, they definitely aren't up to date. Uh, and that's one of the things that they brought up. You know, uh, we, we need better facilities for our players. And that's understandable. I get that. I, I totally understand that. But in the agreement between minor league baseball and major league baseball, which for those of you who don't know, they're actually two separate entities. They, they work together, but Minor League Baseball is not owned or controlled by Major League Baseball in the, the sense that you would actually think, given that they've kind of coexisted for the last eight years or so. Um, 
but there's a contract between the two, and within that contract, it it sets up you know the specifications for what your stadium needs to have. Well, if you've got a problem with the stadiums, update that, guys. Uh, you know they have said that there's not. Um, they decided that you know they they don't want to update that. That they're just gonna tell these teams, hey, we're not gonna ask you to fix this. Uh, we're just going to get rid of it. And, you know, you've had several minor league owners come out and say, well, we'll update it if you tell us what we, like, what the new standards are. Because, obviously, these men and women and ownership groups, they don't want to just go out of business. These are teams worth millions of dollars. It's, you know, the the team in, uh, oh, goodness. Oh, I'm drawing a blank right now. There's a team in the Midwest League that was just bought uh, by the group that actually owned the former double a reds team in pensacola and they bought them for nine million dollars this team uh they average 1100 people a night it's one of the worst worst attended teams in minor league baseball that's of the full season variety which means they play from april through the end of august uh and they sold for nine million dollars so these men and these groups they're not going to just sit by and decide, you know what, it's probably better for us to not spend $800,000 to upgrade the facility. Because, you know, most of these places aren't going to need to build a new stadium. They need to renovate the clubhouse. They may need to add a new building to the side of their stadium for, you know, new batting cages, new, like, coaching facilities, uh, you know, weight rooms, things like that. They don't need to go out and spend $20 million to build a new stadium. Uh, it's just, you know, these are, again, these are easy fixes that Major League Baseball is just throwing out there because they don't expect people like me to be the normal person. They expect people to look at it and just be like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I've been to a crappy minor league stadium before and leave it at that. So that's that's generally a good way to operate in life, right, is if you need to fix something just instead of fixing it, just get rid of it? I mean, I as as, as, a, as a poor person... Uh, no, I can't afford to do that. But uh, I guess if I don't have to replace something, then sure, question mark. Can't <laughs> yeah. I, t- I just, I, it, it makes me wonder, because I saw all these different teams that are going to be getting the axe and, you know, trying to ask for support from their fans and all this stuff, which is just silly that it's come to all of this. With the um, the French, the minor league teams, Within the Reds Farm system, have you gotten any sort of uh, just feeling from them? Is this something that can be reversed, or is this, hey, you're gone? You know, it's funny. When the the first report came out, um, Baseball America and the New York Times both released it within the same day. Of like It's like 20 minutes apart, which I, I, that, that was interesting to me, given that, you know, I, you know, J.J. Cooper of Baseball America, America said he'd been working on the story for months. So like the the reports were out there. And then, you know, once it came out, I started asking around and, you know, some people, I talked to people in the, the business side of things in minor league baseball and they knew about it. Uh, so my bad guys, I should have been paying more attention and asking more questions or something. Um, but you know, this is something that's kind of been going on for a while. And, you know, it was five weeks ago at this point. And when I started talking to people, you know, that the feeling was, you know, even even the I talked to a few team owners, both inside the Reds organization and outside of the Reds organization, and it was just like, you know, this this feels like a, a negotiate negotiating tactic. 
they're 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 coming out swinging hard, trying to get people all you know hot and bothered, so to speak, so that you know we'll give in to or the team owners will give in to some of the things that they want. And it it, it seemed that for the most part, what people felt that they wanted was the minor league team owners to contribute pay to the minor league players. That's that was the the takeaway that I got. Well, you know, in the last week or so, Major League Baseball's come out swinging a lot harder, and now the people you talk to are more than concerned that it isn't a negotiating tactic. It's not a ploy. That Major League Baseball's pretty serious about this, and that they're really, I mean, one minor league owner was quoted as basically saying they told us they're not negotiating, that they're doing this, and there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, now, not everybody's feeling as hard-lined as that, um, but the the general consensus of the people that I've talked to, uh, they're, they're very concerned about this. They they don't think that it's, I mean, at the very least, that it's going to be a fun or easy negotiation. Um, I've now seen two different quotes um, out there that, you know, owners feel that, you know, this might just be the first round of cuts, that there's a belief out there that after 2026, when the next negotiation theoretically would come up again, they'd cut 30 more teams to get it down to 90 minor league teams. What what would it be like, and this is just a thought that I've had, it's something that I've thought about before with minor league franchises, if and maybe this is a dumb idea because I have a lot of dumb ideas. But what if all of the minor leagues operated as their own franchise? They weren't affiliated with any other ball club. They just they got guys, and it was kind of used as a mechanism that, yeah, you can showcase prospects, but then major league franchises would then have to purchase them from those teams, almost like a soccer sort of situation. I mean, that's how minor league baseball used to be. You know, back in the, you know, before the, the, the 40s, that's kind of how it was. Uh, Branch Rickey is kind of the guy who got all of this way we look at minor league baseball now started. Uh, he and the Dodgers bought teams out and, you know, kind of formed their own farm system, so to speak. Before that, you know, Joe DiMaggio wasn't a New York Yankees minor leaguer. Like, he played in the Pacific Coast League out in California and just went crazy because, well, of course, he, Joe DiMaggio is really good. Uh, but, you know, they had to pay what it turned out that it was the highest price anybody ever paid for a player before um you know to buy him and to bring him to the yankees i i just can't see a way for that working today given where we're at now um and i mean the other the other part of that is too at this point in time it's not a common situation but there's probably 40 teams that are actually owned by major league baseball if we're going to count some of the, like, especially if we're going to count the complex leagues, there's way more. Um, there's probably 50 or 60 of the 160 because every team owns their their rookie-level team. You know, like the, the Reds have a team out in Goodyear, their spring training complex, and every team's got at least one team out in the Dominican Republic. Um, and so they all own that. But even the Reds own one of their rookie ball teams in Greenville. Now, not every team does that, but, like, the Yankees own one of their teams. Um, I believe the... Uh, the twin, no, not the twins. Um, uh, there's there's a few other teams that actually outright own some of their teams. Mm-hmm. Um, like pretty much all of the Florida State League, uh, outside of the Daytona, Daytona Tortugas, are owned by the uh, the major league team. 
And just for the folks that may not be up to speed on the story, what Reds minor leagues teams stand to get basically deleted? Well, yeah, the Reds actually have more teams on the list than anybody else, uh, starting with their double-A franchise right now, the Chattanooga Lookouts. Uh, the team below them, the Advanced A Daytona Tortugas. And then they've got two rookie affiliates, the Billings Mustangs and then the Greenville Reds, which actually are owned by the Reds. And they're the only major league-owned team that's on the chopping block. And I, I think that the big reason for that is, uh, more so than anything else, they don't own the stadium they play in. So the Reds aren't actually losing too much. They they probably made a minimal investment a couple of years ago when they bought that franchise from the Houston Astros because they weren't buying any real estate. They weren't buying a stadium with it. They were basically just buying the right to have a team. And when it all comes down to it, what is kind of the the last day? Is the have they announced that there's going to be a date that this goes into effect? Well, right now uh, the agreement that is currently in place goes through next next season. Um, and I, I think the contract expires like in October of 2020. So nothing's going to change next year. But after that, you know, that's they, they have to figure out something. Um, and I mean, minor league baseball doesn't really have too strong of a foothold. Um, but I mean, the, the big thing is they're going to have to come to some sort of agreement. Um, you know, the, the minor league teams aren't just going to not have baseball. I think that the, the owners of those teams, I mean, they're going to want to have something there going on in, in April, May, June, all of that. And Major League Baseball, I mean, really, I mean, if they wanted to, they could just be like, that's, that's fine if you guys don't want to play ball with us. We'll just do spring, we'll just use our spring training complexes. We've got four or five fields available at every single site. We can run our farm systems out of there if we want to, if you guys don't really want to do this our way. And and I, I think that that's kind of one of the, the big scary things that, is kind of going on is, you know, minor league baseball and those owners, they don't have much, you know, power in this situation. If if this really is what Major League Baseball wants to do, uh, short of lawsuits, which we've already heard rumblings of how that could go down, um, I, I really don't know what option they've got. And I'm not going to lie, I, I, I was disheartened whenever I saw the news because for a few years of my life I lived in Huntsville, Alabama and they had a minor league team that uh, while they did not draw very many people it was still fun to watch and I can look back and I I mean I saw Scooter Jeanette play down there and um, also saw Billy Hamilton come through town whenever he was on Pensacola and just it, it'd be a real shame to see a lot as many of those teams as they're talking about get just basically lopped off and say oh hey by the way you don't exist anymore that that would be totally bummer so kind of a downer let's get to some fun things let's talk about first off let's talk about a couple of guys that the reds acquired and maybe what their value might look like because on the surface it doesn't look like a ton and we're talking about jose de leon nick martini and um uh, justin schaefer because I I think we uh, last time I talked to you I think we did touch on Travis Jankowski, but what have you heard especially about the two pitchers? Because I think it's easy for us to at least look at some of the statistics on Nick Martini and sort of form an evaluation. Pitching is a little bit harder to do for most fans. What have you heard about De Leon and Schaefer? Now, De Leon is an interesting guy. Uh, he was a former top fifty 
prospect in all of baseball when he was in the minor leagues. Uh, but you know he's he's been hurt a little bit since then, and he hasn't quite gotten back to the guy that he was. Um, you know he he's not quite throwing as hard anymore. Uh, he's he's a guy who's going to throw you know 89, 92 miles an hour, top out around 94, and there, there's nothing wrong with that. But in today's game, that definitely doesn't stand out to you anymore. Uh, you know he he used to throw you know 93 to 95 um, as a prospect, and he touched higher. So that, that was, he was a different guy when he was rated as that top end prospect. Um, but, you know, with the bringing in of, you know, Kyle Body and, you know, getting a chance to work with Derek Johnson and Caleb Cotham, you know, you, you, you kind of have to hope that, you know, maybe he can find a little bit of that old velocity and kind of get back to where he was. And, and if he does do that, uh, you know, he's got he's got good off speed stuff. And so, you know, there there is an upside play there. Um, you know, he he had very strong numbers in the minor leagues this past year. Uh, now, granted, it's just AAA, but uh, if you paid attention to what was happening in AAA this year, not many pitchers had strong numbers there. <laughs> uh, they, they, like the major leaguers, were playing with the juice baseball, and it was flying like they were playing on the moon. So uh, guys guys exactly weren't weren't exactly having uh, tons of success, right. and he did. He, he struck out you know 33% of the batters he faced, which, hey, you know, if you're not letting them make contact, doesn't matter how, how well the ball is flying. But I, I think that that's that's a good upside play given that the cost of acquisition was basically nothing. Um, now I don't really know what to expect because I, again you're you're kind of on that let's hope side of things rather than let's expect kind of thing with him. Uh, but I, I think there's also a reason to hope with him because the upside is there. Uh, the the reason to believe that he could find velocity is there, uh, and you know he he had good success in AAA last year so. Hopefully, and there's that fun word again. You know, the, the Reds' pitching coaches can can work with him, and you know they'll they'll get something from him. Um, you know, Justin Schaefer, you know, he's been in the major leagues. He's had some success. Walk rate's way too high for me to feel comfortable uh, right off the bat with him. But you know, he's he's a high spin rate fastball guy. Um, that's that's something that you know, it, if let's say you throw 93 miles per hour. You've got an average spin rate. Well, that's 93, and it's probably hittable. But if you got high spin rate with 93, it probably looks like 95 to the hitters. So you know, it it, it helps the fastball play up a little bit faster, so to speak. It looks like it's faster to the hitters. So it it does things a little bit differently. So he's a guy that you know you hope again. There's that word. Uh, the, the Reds pitching coaches can work with. Now, if he can cut down on his his walk rate, which was again way too high. I think there's something there, but he's a guy who's 27 years old and he's still got control issues. So again, it, for for the cost of acquisition, I think it was a, a risk worth taking. But you know, again, we're we're when you're picking up guys like this that are, you know, very low cost. Usually, there's a reason for the fact that they were low cost. I can take a coin flip, and like you said, it, it's all about hope. And we've mentioned before, hope isn't a strategy, something that Chad talks about a lot on Red Leg Nation Radio. But um, with these guys, I don't think it's such a big deal because we're not counting on them for pretty much anything. But with that being said, they did displace some folks on the 40-man roster, or maybe not displace them, but at least uh, keep them off of it. And I'm looking mostly at... T.J. Friedel, Brandon Finnegan, 
and um, Alfredo Rodriguez. What did you take away seeing those three guys? Because those were the three guys that stood out to me. Maybe there was somebody else that stood out to you more than those three guys. But when I noticed, especially with like Finnegan and Friedel, I know that that may be health-related, but uh, what did you take away from those guys being left unprotected from the Rule 5 draft coming up here in uh, a little under a month? I expected TJ Friedel to be protected. Uh, I expected Alfredo Rodriguez to be protected, even though I didn't think he should have been. Uh, I didn't think that Brandon Finnegan was going to be protected. Um, now, we'll, we'll start off with TJ Friedel, because he's the one that really confuses me, I guess. Uh, he would have been the fourth guy that I would have protected. I, I just look at TJ Friedel, and I see a guy who right now, assuming he's, he's healthy, uh, he, he his season did end early this year. He had to have ankle surgery. Um but I, as far as I know, there's no complications, no reason to believe that he won't get back to 100% uh, before next season starts. It, I mean, he's a fourth outfielder right now. He's got a good plate approach. He draws walks. He makes contact. He's got at least gap power. You know, nobody's going to confuse him with Billy Hamilton out there. He he can hit the ball hard. Um, I mean, he's not going to be a guy who's going to hit you 20-plus home runs, but he's also a guy who can play in everyday center field. He can play right field. He can play left field. And he's got speed. I mean, are you trying to tell me that somebody wouldn't stash that guy? And I don't even think you have to stash him, so to speak, because I think he could be useful for you right now. But with rosters expanding to 26 players, that's not a guy somebody's going to take? I, I mean, I just I just don't know. I, I, I've i had conversations in the past week or so with people about it, and I, I just can't see a situation where he's going to go undrafted. I, I just – I really don't. Um, we'll find out, though. Um I, I think that the, the one thing that makes everything a little bit more interesting this year is that you do have 26 players on on the roster this right. year. That's I mean that's 30 extra players in Major League Baseball. Um, you can you can do a lot with that. Uh, I think every team is going to use it a little bit differently, but when I look at it, a guy like T.J. Friedel is just too valuable to me to to have left out there. I I think that there there are definitely a few guys on the roster that I think are very likely to be non-tendered next week, I'd have just let somebody go right now in, in protected Friedel. But that's just me, and nobody pays me to make that decision for the Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> um, they should. Now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Reds, you should. You should definitely pay me to make those decisions <laughs> for you. I mean, I, I think I'm willing to take the heat for the paycheck. Um, but, you know, Alfredo Rodriguez, shortstop, they signed out of Cuba. They paid $7 million to sign him in uh, 2016. They paid $2 million in penalties, and then because of that, anybody else they signed that year, they had to pay 100% uh, penalty to Major League Baseball for whatever they signed that player for. And the, you know, the Reds went all out that year. They wound up spending nearly $30 million when they were, quote-unquote, allowed to spend, I think it was $6 million. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, they, they, they kind of went all out because that was the last year you were allowed to literally just spend whatever you want as long as you're willing to pay the penalties. Um, and you know, they, they picked up Vladimir Gutierrez that year. Uh, they picked up uh, Jose Garcia that year. They, those were three guys out of Cuba. They ended up spending. Um, let me do some quick math here. It was like sixteen and a half million dollars between those two before penalties. So they they definitely spent a lot of money on them. And you know, Alfredo Rodriguez was the big guy uh, in terms of money. Although nobody that I know of thought he was the best prospect of the three. Um, and you know, this is the first year that he did any sort of hitting with the bat. And he hit the most empty 280 you'll ever see in your life. There's there's no power at all in the bat. Um, he doesn't really draw walks and get on base. He's 
I mean, coming out of Cuba, he was considered to be a, a plus-plus shortstop. I just don't see that. Uh, he's dealt with some leg injuries over the past couple of years. Uh, he's he's a, he's a he's a shortstop defensively. Like I'm not going to sit here and say he's not a quality defensive shortstop, but you know nobody's going to confuse him with you know one of the best shortstops in baseball either. And I I really did feel that because of the money involved and having to have the conversation with Bob Gastelini that hey remember that guy you paid nine million dollars for? Well. <laughs> He somebody else can have him for a hundred thousand dollars today if they want him. Like I didn't think that was going to be a conversation that they were going to have, and uh, I I think that it was a good move to not protect him because I I just think that the the value is not there. Um, and if if somebody does want to take him, I mean, you know, good good for Alfredo Rodriguez then because he you know he's going to get a lot of benefits from being on the forty man roster. Although unlike a lot of these guys, it's not like he needs the money. Um, the the raise that would come with that, but sure. uh, I, I just I, I really did think they were going to protect him because of the, the money they already had invested in him, and they they didn't. Um, now with Brandon Finnegan, I mean he, you you mentioned the health issue with him, and he I mean he was healthy this year. He didn't pitch until the end of July, uh, but it wasn't because of health; it's because his stuff was really bad, and they were trying to basically rework his entire mechanics to get back to where he was. I mean, you know, everybody saw that, you know, the last time he was in the major leagues, he was throwing 88 to 90 miles an hour, and he was a guy who used to throw 93 to 95. Uh, I mean, he did pick up some velocity when he came back, but he was still a guy who was working in the low 90s. His ERA was, I believe, seven something in double A and a handful of innings. Now, to, to be fair, he had one really bad outing in double A, but even so, it's not like his stuff really jumped out at anybody. Uh, I, I do think there's a chance that somebody could take a risk, uh, you know, for a hundred thousand dollars, and if it doesn't work out, you know, quote unquote, sell them back to the Reds for fifty thousand uh, dollars if they want to. It, you know, somebody who has worked with him in the past, somebody who was interested in him uh, out of the draft, could talk their team into spending a hundred thousand dollars on him and, and drafting him, and, and, and just saying, hey, maybe our guys can fix him. That wouldn't be surprising to me, but if I'm the Reds and I'm looking at it, I. I why would we protect him at that point? I mean, he he's shown over the past three years that he's nowhere near the guy he used to be. And they spent all year this year trying to get that back. And realistically, they couldn't. It, it wasn't there. Whatever they were doing, it, it wasn't working. Uh, or at least it didn't work well enough. So that that one didn't surprise me. I, I just did, I, I didn't think that he was going to get protected. And uh, sure enough, he was not. I know that uh, Red's Twitter kind of went into a spiral, as it tends to do, whenever Yasmani Grandal became a White Sox. But when you look at what the Reds have to do, I mean, I still think there's plenty of options. We're still really early in the offseason, plenty of options out there. What are some of the more attractive free agents, or maybe do you think they could pull off a big trade? Uh, when you look at the offseason, how would you, maybe if uh, maybe you're compiling a list for Santa Claus, what would that look like? I mean, right now I think there's really two options for the Reds. One via trade, one in free agency. We'll start with free agency because that one's a little easier. We know for a fact that this guy is available. Uh, Robinson Chirinos, uh, you know, he's coming off of a one-year deal where he made five and a half million dollars for Houston. Uh, you know, he posted a 105 OPS uh, plus. I mean, that's it's not great. It's not bad. Um, you know, your average major league catcher was only at 86 OPS plus this year, so he was about 20% better than your average catcher offensively. 
Uh, he's not going to be Yasmani Grandal, but you know he's an above-average hitter, and he's been that for quite a while now. Um, you know, right now MLB trade rumor says he's going to get a two-year, ten million dollar deal. It's not going to be an expensive pickup. Now the the question is, is that going to be a good enough? upgrade so to speak over whatever else you have now we don't know what the reds would do if they picked up torinos would they keep him and tucker barnhart would they trade barnhart and go with torinos and uh kurt casale i i don't really know um that's that's unfortunately something that we don't really have an idea of but you know let's look at it in terms of war now i'm i'm feel like i'm repeating this a million times every day i, I think that war wins above replacement is it's a guide. It's not something that's you know stone cold, hardened fact that you should never argue or look any deeper at. But you know, in 2019, he posted a 3.8 WAR. The Reds catchers, all 17 of them, I think there I think there are actually only four of them, but uh, they posted uh, 1.8 WAR on the season. So all by himself in 114 games, he more than doubled the Reds' value at catcher. Uh, now will he do that again this year? Who knows? Because he is going to be 36 years old. So, you know, there, there is the, the concern of age, but, you know, if MLB Trade Rumors is right, there's not going to be a ton of money invested in, into him. Uh, you're looking at $5 million a year for two years. If he's really bad, well, you know, you, you let him be the backup this year, and then maybe next year you just pay him to go away if he's not performing after, say, the end of April. We've seen the Reds do that with relievers who know god knows how many times because it seems like every year they dumpster dive on those guys and then the end of april they've got an area of nine and they're like okay this didn't work (laughs) and they just eat the one or two million dollars but i i think that catcher is that one spot where the reds are looking to upgrade because you know fair or unfair they see it as somewhere that is you know down down the, the line of you know areas where they're above average where they're good um and so you know that that could be one of the moves now, the, the guy that's on the trade market, and I actually wrote about this at Red Lake Nation today, is uh, Omar Narvaez. Now, he's oh, okay. he's a little bit more interesting in the sense that there's real concern there. Now, the guy can hit. He can really hit. If you look at the last two years, he's been as good of a hitter as Yasmani Grandal on a rate basis. Now, the, the difference is, is Yasmani Grandal plays 140 games a year, where Narvaez does not. Um, now, Grandal has played in the American League one of those years. So he, he did have the benefit of, you know, the, the designated hitter. But, you know, he played from Milwaukee last year and still played 140-something games. But the difference there is Narvaez is considered to be a really, really bad defensive catcher, whereas Grandal is considered one of the best catchers in baseball defensively. Now, if the Reds were willing to live with some of that quote-unquote bad defense, and, the, the you know, he's got a bad arm, and he's also rated out as one of the worst pitch framers in, in baseball. Um, and so if the Reds are willing to live with that, they can really upgrade their offense by trading for Narvaez. Uh, but the question is, how much of that does he give back to, you know, for what he's not doing for your pitching staff? I, I'm not exactly sure where the Reds fall on how much weight they put into the publicly available defensive data for catchers especially. Um, but if they are looking for an offensive upgrade, this is the guy. Um, you know, he's still under contract for the next three years before reaching free agency. Uh, there's a track record of him hitting. But if you're a team that believes that, you know, catcher defense is way more than catcher offense, then he's not your guy. Uh, but, it, you know, they Seattle's 
basically said, you know, he's available for trade. So we know, I mean, I guess we don't technically know because the Mariners actually aren't going to come out and say it in a, in a press release that he's available. Uh, but there, there have been multiple reports from multiple reporters saying that, you know, they, they basically told everybody that, hey, this guy's available if you want to. So that that's the guy that I think is available on the trade market that we should feel comfortable could be there. Uh, I, I know that you're going to you're going to hear both sides of the argument that, you know, catcher defense is too important. And other people are going to be like, hey, the pitchers make up a lot of that. If they're good, it's not going to really matter who's back there catching for them. And I, I can see both points on that. I, re- I really can. So that would just feed. I mean, the, the people on social media that love to defend Tucker because of his defense will just eat that up if they trade for Narvaez. That that would be funny. Um. You you mentioned that the Reds compile what was it one point eight WAR with catcher? Yes. So one point five of that was Ryan LaBarnway, right? <laughs> it, it it feels that way, but <laughs> the actually, legend was, uh, Kirk Casale actually provided one of that one whole WAR of that one point eight WAR, nice. um, which and he was I mean he was the backup. Now I, I again I'll, I'll say this for the millionth time, especially when it comes to catchers. I think that war is missing a lot of value in into what they do. So to take that for what it's worth. Well, and that's, and I mean, you know, that's understandable. I'm with you. There's not one statistic that really paints the whole picture. It's all just little pieces to a bigger puzzle that we all got to look at. When you look at the other options that are out there, if you're kind of picking, like you're in charge of the reds right now, what are the moves that you make? I mean, I'm gonna. I want everybody to listen really closely. <laughs> I'd sign Garrett Cole. Ooh. But there's also a 0.00001% chance that the Reds are even having that conversation internally. So that's not happening. But that's not what you asked me. Um, so I, I, I mean, I guess technically, yes, there's a chance. <laughs> there, there, there is a chance. If for some reason Garrett Cole decides that. Man, you know, I really love Skyline and La Rosa's. Um, <laughs> like, really, really love it. And he calls up the Reds and he's like, you know what, guys? You give me a franchise for each one of those places. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and sign seven years, 140. And I think they'd do that. But <laughs> I, I really don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> that, that, oh, man, that's awesome, though. I mean, if, if I were the Reds, I mean, I... I probably would go out and try and get Robinson Chirinos as the the catcher, and I'd I'd find a way to to work him in there. I, I think that that is an area where the Reds can really improve. You know, I, I would look at trying to acquire a true center fielder, and if I can't, then I would look at trying to find a way to bring in, say, a guy like Howie Kendrick for second base. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I were to get a, a true center fielder, I'd just slide Nixon Zell into second base. Um, now I, I think that Nixon does an interesting piece here because of the fact that he can play center field or second base or left or right field if you really need him to, um, depending on who's available in, in the, uh, the outfield situation or scenario. But I, I think that they need to find a legitimate bat to go into their, into their lineup. Somebody who can both get on base and hit for power. Now, ideally dream scenario, you know, you trade for Mookie Betts. You trade for Francisco Lindor. Now, I think that trading for Mookie Betts is a lot more realistic. Not that I'm saying it's very realistic. I just think that it's a lot more realistic. Uh, one, because of the cost acquisition there is going to be a lot less because of 
one, how much money he's going to make next year, and two, he's only got one year left. But, you know, right now the Reds are saying, hey, we're going for it in 2020. Well, you're not going to do any better than Mookie Betts. Like, he's outside of Mike Trout, he's the best player in baseball. So, you know, if the rumors are to be believed that the Red Sox are trying to shed payroll and he makes a lot of money, he plays a position in need, I'm pretty sure that I'd be willing to give up a lot of the farm system for him. I would agree. I mean, if the Red Sox are willing to take on prospects rather than say, hey, uh, you know, we want, uh, you know, if if they don't want to, if they're not going to demand Nick Senzel in return plus something else, if they just want, say, you know, Tyler Stevenson, Nick Lodolo, Jonathan India, somebody like that, plus, uh, you know, I'd probably give up any two prospects they have um, to, to make that deal happen. I would love that. I and I don't even know that it would be that big a deal if the Reds were able to extend him because I don't know that he would be. I mean, I mean I'll, I'll, I'll jump in now. He's basically said that he's going to free agency. Even you know if he stays with the Red Sox, he's going to free agency. He's going to test the waters, and I don't blame him one bit. But I mean, that's he's he's put that out there. I think it was after the 2017 season, the Red Sox offered him like $200 million extension, and he said, "No, I'm going to free agency." So I, I don't think that that's realistically on the table. That would make sense, too. I mean, like you said, he is the second best player in all of baseball. And the fact that Mike Trout probably will never be a free agent, at least not one that's going to get a Bryce Harper deal, then Mookie Betts is the next man up for that sort of money. And he'll get it. He'll get it from somebody. Especially if he's got a year of Great American Ballpark to add to his resume, because that could only help it, right? I mean, I don't want to say only help it. You know, I, I feel like... Heading into 2019, everybody felt that, you know, Great American Ballpark was going to do wonders for uh, Yasiel Puig, and they, well, it, it didn't. Now, not that he, Yasiel Puig was anywhere near as good as Mookie Betts, but, you know, we always think, you know, somebody moving to Great American Ballpark, they're going to see an Im- increase in their offensive production, and sometimes that just doesn't happen for whatever reason. That's fair. That makes sense. I'll tell you what, this last bit, and um, I'm actually going to, do a little bit of a curveball here because we were going to talk about some prospect rankings, but I'll save that for a different episode. Let's talk about, I, I, it's a philosophical idea. And I thought, man, this, this, this has got a lot of moving parts to it, but I want to get your take on it. What is more valuable in baseball? Run creation or run prevention? I see what you did here. This was, this was going around Twitter yesterday or two days ago, wasn't it? I loved it. I love this discussion. Okay. Now, I, I, I have the answer. And I, I people people have disagreed with me before on this one. But uh, the answer is run prevention is more valuable. And, you know, you, you'll, you'll get the immediate response, well, you can't win without scoring a run. And you're right. You can't lose when you don't give them up either. But, <laughs> I mean, now both of those scenarios, winning one nothing, losing one nothing, they're very rare occurrences. They don't happen very often in baseball. Right. But here's why – Preventing a run is more valuable. The run scoring environment, when it's lower, each run is more valuable. So every run you give up makes each run scored in that game less valuable. So when you give up a run, it decreases the value of each run in the game. Now we're talking in an individual game. We're talking about such a small difference that it doesn't really matter. Uh, but over over the long haul, you want to give up fewer runs because it makes every run you score more valuable or even everyone you give up more valuable um you know if you have heard of the pythagorean theorem you know the in baseball for every 10 runs that you give up more or less uh than 
you know, your, your plus minus, let's say you, you score 710 runs, you give up 700 runs. That means that you should be one game over 500 for every 10 runs. It, it's, it's a thing in baseball. Um, okay. But we've, we've had studies done when the, when the run scoring environment is lower, like let's say, you know, you take the 60s when, when scoring runs was a little bit more difficult than it is today. It was actually nine runs that was worth one extra win or one extra loss mm. because the runs were more valuable then because they there weren't as many. So preventing a run actually is a little bit more valuable than giving up a run. Now, it's it's very, very, very small, but the math does check out on that. Because that's one thing that really, I mean, that was a great, I uh, love the discussion that was going on on Twitter. I didn't really jump in because I'm not that smart, and I didn't really have a concrete thought on it one way or the other. But um, when I look at like guys like rumors about guys like Zach Wheeler or something like that coming to the Reds, almost everybody's knee jerk response was, well, that's not hitting. He, I mean, he did hit a home run last year, but it's like, that's not getting the hitting. That's getting the pitching. They did that last year. But if you've got the best rotation around, and especially if you're talking about a seven game playoff series where it's you and the other team and you've got the best rotation, then I think that is a leg up as opposed to the best lineup because we saw that happen in multiple situations. I mean, the Nationals by no stretch had the best team in the playoffs, but they had a really, really good pitching staff and that's what gave them the World Series. I'll disagree with you slightly. Because I think that once the Nationals were healthy and they got healthy in mid-May, mm-hmm. they were only one game worse than the Astros the rest of the season. They they really did have the best team. I I, I mean it's they were really I mean I don't want to say they were really bad, but they weren't good for the first six weeks of the season because they weren't healthy. Once they got healthy, they were yeah, they were pretty good pretty much all across the board. Um, but I mean I, I think that we we have seen time and time again for the most part that you know good pitching wins in the playoffs. Um, but again, we we can go back to the Pythagorean theorem idea. You you need to score more runs overall than you than you give up. You know we we actually heard that a lot this year with the Reds who they <laughs> their their quote unquote record was better on paper because of their runs scored runs against thing. But you know at the end of the day, it worked out that you know they actually gave up more runs than they scored. Um, you know you you do need larger sample sizes for that to to work its way uh, to to work out for the for the math to work so to speak. Um, but you know, if if the Reds improve their pitching, well, I, it, it's a zero-sum game. You, you need to score more than the other team. If you give up less, then you don't have to score as much. So let's say you do get a Zach Wheeler and it improves your rotation and you end up giving up less runs than you would have otherwise. Well, that means you don't need to score as many runs, so you didn't really need to improve the offense quite as much. Now, here's the fun part. The Reds could get Zach Wheeler and still spend about $20 million in free agency or pick up somebody who makes $20 million via trade because as things stand right now, it looks like they've got about $40 million to play with uh, to add to payroll versus what they've got right now. So it's not like they have to choose one thing or the other. They can choose both or they can go way in on one of the things. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to score more runs than the other team in order to be the winner. And on that bombshell, you, you, work. You, you, well, you, you could just get them to forfeit somehow. I mean, <laughs> there, there, there are ways. Uh, it hasn't happened in a very, very long time. But, you know, if you can just find a way to get everybody to go Disco Demolition Derby Night every time you play them, you can go 162-0, and Jeff. 
You're really good. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up the last time somebody forfeited, but that's all right. <laughs> so, I, I, I really do think that it was Disco Demolition Derby Night. that's amazing well doug man i appreciate you coming on and talking today for uh, an extended period of time a little bit longer than we typically talk but uh thanks so much man uh hope you have a happy thanksgiving what uh, real quick though before we go what is your favorite thanksgiving food stuffing and i i say that because it's actually a thanksgiving food like it's not you know macaroni and cheese is great mashed potatoes are great green beans are great turkey's great but eat those uh, well at least i do uh other times of the year Stuffing's pretty much Thanksgiving, Christmas kind of food for my my family, and I I love stuffing, so I'm going with stuffing. I do love some stuffing too, especially. Oh, and where do you? Obviously, I think we just uh, kind of tipped our hand here, but where do you stand on the stuffing versus dressing debate? I don't even know what dressing is. What the heck is that? People call stuffing dressing some places. It's funny. It always threw me off. I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah, you're talking about stuffing. I don't, I I don't know those people. They're not real. You don't <laughs> well, Doug, thanks, man. Appreciate it, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining me today on this Thanksgiving podcast. Like I mentioned, no episode tomorrow. We're going to take it off. I'll see you guys on Monday. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. That way you get each and every episode each and every day. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three F's and at Locked on Reds for the show. Also, save the Locked on Reds line number into your phone, 513-549-0159. And go over to LockedOnReds.com. Check out the new content that we have there. Again, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. And I'll talk to you guys on Monday. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 